Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Yet again, uh, I need to stop before we begin and just say thank you to you all. Uh, Many of you uh, are are aware that uh, in the last 10 weeks, my family's just been through a a, a tough season. Uh, My mom was diagnosed with cancer at the end of August, and uh, and yet the the Lord has uh, comforted me through the kindness of you all, his people, in so many incredible ways. Uh, I've I've felt the prayers of God's people, the language I've used is, man, I've just felt buoyed by the prayers of God's people, and I want to say thank you for that. Uh, many of you have watched my children, which is uh, no small feat. I have five of them. Uh, so thank you for that so that I could spend precious time with my mom. Uh, you have fed us. You have clothed us for the memorial service. Thank you. Uh, and then many of you uh, even last week uh, traveled an hour outside of town to be with my family and I as we celebrated my mom's life at her memorial service. And I just want to say thank you uh, for all of that. And uh, I thought one of the ways that I could say thank you back was to kind of let you in a little bit uh, because over the last 10 weeks or so as we've told stories as a family as we've remembered the life of my mom we've been going through pictures of uh, just old photo albums and there are there's some incriminating evidence about uh, about me in there and uh, and so as I just thought of this as hey this is a safe place I asked my wife, how can I say thank you? She's like, show them a picture. And I said, okay, fine, just one picture, that's it. Now, there was a lot to choose from, but I let my wife choose one picture. And of all the pictures she could have picked, this one wasn't a goofy picture. Uh, In fact, as David said, he's an Enneagram 1. I'm an Enneagram 3, so your laughter here is probably going to hurt a little bit. But this was a picture of uh, right when I was about to get into the car for the first time as a 16-year-old and drive by myself. And so... High call, safe place. Let's not forget safe place here in this moment. Here's a picture of when I turned 16 and hopped into the car for the first time. So that's me. Yeah, I heard some awes. Thank you for that. I, um, I look 11. Uh, your laughter would be similar to what some police officers thought because I was routinely pulled over for looking a little bit too young. One officer was convinced I was forging my license. I was not, but hey, when you look like that, you're gonna get laid. And here, look, I could answer questions about this photo for a while, but if you zoom in on this picture, I'm like wearing a double polo shirt, which I don't understand. That has, to my knowledge, that was never cool. You know, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, And yet, and surely it never will be cool. But that's me as a 16-year-old, not an 11-year-old, Thank you, church, for how you've loved my family. We're even now, okay? No more pictures. That's the one. That's all you get. And uh, thank you. Um, But welcome to Encountering Jesus. It's a series we're doing in John, and we're at a a great spot, just a rich spot uh, in the Gospel of John. As, As Keg set us up last week, the first 12 chapters of John, if you've been tracking with us, cover Jesus's public ministry. And this covers a three-year span of Jesus's life. And now, all of a sudden, Jesus has turned his attention specifically to the 11 disciples now that Judas has gone off to betray him at the end of 13. And Jesus is going to focus in on the 11 for just a few hours 
here in his private ministry. And the master teacher, Christ, now in the next three or four chapters is just going to weave some incredible themes and messages and challenges to his disciples and thus to us today. And uh, one of the things that you'll see as we read 14, 15, 16 is I'm going to step on Derek and Keggs' toes a little bit on coming weeks, and then there might be some things that they reach back into John 14 that maybe I don't cover today because, again, there is some rich themes that Jesus is weaving in here. And one of the ones that you'll notice in 16 is an often quoted verse that at, as 16 ends, it says, in this world, Jesus talking to his disciples, uh, you will have trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world. And it's a theme that we see also in John 14, again, as he weaves those storylines together. On the morning of August 28th, very early this, uh, this year, a Saturday morning, I got the call from my mom. It was about 7.15 in the morning, and she called, letting me know that from the doctor's office, she had gotten word that, uh, that it was stage four pancreatic cancer. And I remember in that moment, just kind of her, her mind was racing, my mind was racing, our hearts were troubled, and it was just like, what are we going to do this morning? And uh, I prayed for her, and as we were about to get off the phone, I said, wait, 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 mom, where are you going in God's word today? Where are you going to go and uh, find peace right now? And she just said, look, I'm going to go, I think I'm going to go read the Psalms, and that was great. And then she asked me, Jeff, where are you going to go? And I told her, as a church, we're in the series of John, and, uh, and I think I'm a, I'm a few chapters ahead, so I told her, I was like, I think it's chapter 14, and we hopped off the phone, and uh, my heart was still troubled, my mind was still racing, and everything in me said, go, do, fix, and the Lord was like, just come, sit, and rest. And uh, I turned, flipped open to John 14, as it was, that was where I was, and the first words that I read after my mom's diagnosis was verse one, let not your hearts be troubled. I loved what Kyle said last week about uh, when life comes at you, it's always good to have a planned biblical response, like kind of like these one pagers that you can go to in times of confusion or in times of temptation or, or trial that you can go to and remind yourselves of truth. And the sweet thing about God's word is sometimes when your mind is racing too fast and you can't even remember to go to stuff like that, the word of God comes right to you because it's living and active. And the first words, right, were words of encouragement. And then as I spent time in John 14, I noticed it was a theme. It's, it's the, the, the chapter is bookended by that same idea. Let not your hearts be troubled. And then in verse 27, it's let not your hearts be troubled. Why? Because peace I give you and peace I leave you, Jesus tells them. Not as the world gives, but as I give to you. Jesus is going, this is the path. The bookends of how not to have your heart be troubled is to rely on the peace-giving trinity. And so to be clear, this is not a message about my mom. It's not a message about a funeral. It's not a message about grieving. This is a message about how we are to walk in peace in a chaotic world. And I'm not convinced, right? This is a hard thing. This is hard for us to, to do in this life, right? We, we, and we live in a world where the, the news cycle is is in such a way that it's to stoke fear in our hearts. Even as Christians, especially of late, there's this, this foreboding sense that some of our religious liberties that have existed for so long feel like they're quietly and slowly being snuffed out. And so how can we have peace as maybe that increases over the next few years and decades? And then in our own lives, right, our schedules are so full, and I mean so full. How do we find peace amidst such chaotic lifestyles? 
And I think between the bookends of let not your hearts be troubled, there's some incredible promises to cling to. There's instruction to obey. And on, in all of it, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit, and how they play a role is on full display. So let me set up our morning like this, and then we're going to dive into God's word. And you heard about it a little bit in David's testimony, but lack of peace is either a sin problem or a theological problem. Lack of peace is not a circumstantial problem. See, many of us define peace as the absence of conflict. That's how the world defines peace. And yet, as the believer, we know that we're always in conflict, either with our flesh, with the enemy, or maybe a world that is closing in on us. We have, we are in conflict. And thus, our aim is not to find some easy or comfortable life. No, we're charged to do something else. And so, how can we do this? John 10 talks about us having a good shepherd in Christ In John 14, what's going to be on display is what I'm going to call the peace-giving trinity. And so just here's where we're going this morning, that that there's just kind of a little three-part thing that lines up with the trinity, is that that we need to trust Christ and, and who he is and his nature and what he offers us, which is peace. Obedience to the Father's commands will lend to peace in our life, and then as we begin to yield to the Spirit, this is how the life-giving, peace-giving trinity is going to operate in our life. So let's dig in. Chapter 14, verse 1, Christ speaking hours, hours before he's betrayed, hours before the cross. Peace is not based on your circumstances, or else the message might be a little bit different from Jesus. But verse 1, Jesus speaking, let not your hearts be troubled. It says, believe in God and believe also in me. It's been one of the themes of John. This idea of that we are to believe in that Jesus is the son of man. And the idea here in belief is not just a one time for purposes of kind of salvation. The idea here is have a continual trust. An ongoing trust in God. So it could read ongoing trust in God and ongoing trust also in me. And then it says in verse two, in my father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. And where I am, you may also be. Jesus is going, man, when I leave here, there's a place that I'm going. My work on the, on the cross is done. It is finished, but there is still work for me to do in the heavenlies. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And that thought should produce peace in our lives. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas just kind of intercepts him and just goes, it says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus said to him, my nature, which we are to trust, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. It's Jesus's sixth I am statement. And yet in many ways, there's nothing new here. This is a summary statement of what Jesus has been talking about. When he talks about, I am the way, this is, Jesus mentioned this in John 10, that I am the door, I am the gate by which people come to the Father. It's by me that men are saved. There's but one mediator between God and man. There's but one way to the Father, and it's through Jesus. I am the way. He's been telling them all along his time with them. And then it says, I am the truth. And these are words that make sense, even from reading John 1, right? That the word became flesh 
full of grace and truth, John 1 repeated over and over again. Even when he spends time with Pilate here in a couple of chapters, the conversation is going to center around truth. Summary statement, and then I am the life. It's what Derek unpacked for us around Lazarus's death and resurrection. Jesus is, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is repeating himself in a summary statement of who he is so that we can remember his nature. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, a second disciple speaks up and said, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me yet, Philip? And I want you to read tenderness into those words for Christ because Christ just... His character, his nature, if we begin to trust who he is, he is patient with confused disciples. Jesus is long-suffering with genuine truth seekers. So one of my favorite parts of David's story is someone who was wrestling with the truths of God. He wasn't trifling with it. He wasn't trivializing who Jesus was. He was genuinely trying to figure out who the son of God was and if it had any bearing on his life. And God in his kindness honored his genuine pursuit because Jesus is patient in our confusion. He is patient in our questions. And it's one of those sweet truths about who Jesus is and his nature. And so he says, whoever has seen me, Philip, has seen the Father. I've come to reveal who the Father is. Jesus has been saying this all throughout John. So how can you say as show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus continues to labor with his disciples over and over again, and they were slow to understand. One of my favorite things to do, just to pull back for a second, one of my favorite things to do, and I've done this with a handful of people in here, is as they're exploring the claims of Christ, one of my favorite things to do is say, hey, go read the book of John and write down whatever questions you have, and then come back with me, and I will sit with you as long as it takes and answer whatever questions you have, trying to imitate what Christ is doing even here with his disciples. And it's, and it's been something I've done every year. And just about once, uh, one person per year, I get to celebrate at the end of the year or the following year as they've crossed the line of, of, of death to life as they've placed their faith in Christ. And I'm so glad, right, the, that I was there along with others to just kind of walk with them and help answer questions. The nature of Christ right now, we are in the season of peace, even Derek talked about this when Jesus was in his triumphal interest. He comes bearing peace. He wants to answer questions. He wants to serve us. He wants to care for us, even amidst some of our struggles. Because Jesus, it says in, in, in Hebrews that he's a sympathetic high priest. And so he purchased peace for us on the cross. That's what he was on his way to go do, just hours from it here. And then even today, he still prays for peace for us. Though his work is done on the cross, Jesus has not stopped working. In Hebrews 7, verse 24 through 25, it says this, our high priest, our sympathetic high priest, holds his priesthood permanently, it says, because he continues forever. And consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives, 
always lives to make intercession for them, for you, for me. Jesus is for you. These are the days where he is offering peace. He is the way to the Father to be restored from broken fellowship into a peaceful fellowship with the Father. And even today, even after you've made that decision, he's praying that you might grow in likeness to him, interceding on our behalf. And what a sweet gift it is, and, and, and we do well, right? The way that he gives us peace and the way he leaves peace with us is we trust in the person of Christ. We trust him both for our salvation and we have ongoing trust and that his ways are the right ways. His ways are the ways that we are to follow. And that's where Christ goes next. I'm going to skip a couple verses. There's some great what I'll call interpretive challenges in verses 12, 13, 14. We're going to hit on those in the next couple weeks. But you have time as a community group to begin to unpack what are the interpretive challenges in verses 12, 13, 14. And come prepared as we unpack them in either John 15 or John 16. But as we trust who the person of Christ is, it's not just an intellectual under, uh, understanding. It's not a one-time belief. Again, it's an ongoing, continual trust in who he is. And as I read verses 15 through 24, there's, there's kind of two main themes that we're going to draw our attention to. But the one that I want you to look for as I read through this passage is I want to look at what's our role in the peace process. And so see if you find it as I read. John 14, verse 15. It says, if you love me, Jesus still speaking, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Look at this great promise. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. And because I live, you will also live, right? He's the resurrection and the life. And in that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. And whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, a third disciple asking questions, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him, make our home with him. And whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Did you catch it? You see what our role is in the process? Peace comes from obeying the commands of the father who Jesus is speaking on behalf of right there in verse 15, right? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And then in verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. This idea of obedience is taking deep root in our gospel writer, even as he's writing down Christ's words. And it would be a theme that, that, that John would stick to. Even in his letter near the end of your Bible in 1 John 5, he would grab the same idea in verse 3. He just goes, if anyone loves the Father, he keeps his commandments. This is love, that you would keep the commandments of the Father. And then he adds this tag, and his commandments are not burdensome. And what John's saying there and what Jesus is saying in John 14 is my ways produce life. They are not a burden. Peace I leave you, peace I give you. It is done by following the ways of the Father. 
And so Jesus isn't trying to rip you off with his commands. Jesus isn't trying to cause you to miss out on the party. Jesus is saying, if you want peace, if you want to walk in freedom, there is but one way, and it's my ways. Come this direction. It is not a burden. It is a gift. And trusting his ways will lead to unspeakable peace. But you know what is burdensome? Do you know what produces unrest in our body and in our soul? It's sin, right? Many of us know this from our own experience with it. And let me just remind you from, from David in, uh, in, in Psalm 38, just what sin does to us and the unrest that it produces in our heart. Just as a reminder, verse three of Psalm 38, David writes this, there is no soundness in my flesh. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. It's our sins that are burdensome, not the Lord's commands. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. For my sides are filled with burning, verse 7. There is no soundness in my flesh. I am feebled and crushed, and I groan because of the tumult of my heart. You see, lack of peace is often a sign of a sin problem. When we're chaotic in here, it's a lot of times it's because we're either stuck in our ways of following the world or we're beginning to dabble, beginning to try to taste. And so if you're in the room today and, and you're in a place of where you're holding on to some unconfessed sin or if you're beginning to just trifle with it, if you're beginning to dabble, whether it's lust or a substance, an inappropriate relationship, any number of other things, giving in to anxiety, walking in isolation by yourself and not with a local body of believers. If you're doing any of those things, the unburdensome command, the life-giving, peace-giving command is to confess. Not so that you can be publicly shamed, not so that you can be gossiped about, but so that you can enter into the peace and freedom that the Lord's ways have for you. It's not a burden, it's a gift. As it turns out, obedience, whatever word you have in your mind, I know some of us have baggage with the word obey. And what is that for you? What, what baggage comes up with the word obey? And, and, and maybe it's a different word. And, and you know, Jesus is using the word keep my commandments. I've started to use treasure my commandments because in following them, there is freedom and there is peace. And so it's a gift to get to come into the light. It's not a burden. Confession is a gift not a burdensome command. Doing life with one another, though it can be difficult at times, is not a burden. It is life-giving to the person so that if you do fall down, you have others that are there to pick you up. We keep his commandments. We obey them. We, we, we treasure, treasure them for in keeping them, there is peace available to your soul. And look at the reward. A lot of times we just go, man, if only I could see God, if only I could maybe experience him. Look at the reward for, for obedience. We are saved by grace through faith alone. But look one at one of the rewards for obedience once we've been saved. Back in verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them. Look at this, at the end of verse 21. I will love him and manifest myself to him. You want to know who God is? Follow his ways. 
What a gift it is when you begin to go the way of the Lord. His wisdom begins to make sense as you get to see the freedom that it produces. Even if there's um, circumstantial struggles around, all of a sudden you begin to understand what the fruit of the Spirit is. And you're like, man, where is this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness coming from amidst all this tumult? It's because in God's ways there is much wisdom and he reveals himself. He gives the best of himself for those that follow his ways. And it says, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him a second time. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. What a great reward. Peace I give you, peace I leave with you. The world has no concept of the peace that God offers. And yet the world is chasing after peace all the time. It's joking with Derek in the first hour. And just since I've been alive, since the 80s, there've been so many ways the world's tried to run after, where can I find peace? Maybe can I find it in a pill? And we've watched over the last four decades, not that the Lord doesn't, uh, isn't able to use medicine for his glory. He absolutely is. But the world has run after pills in a way that I would never intended trying to medicate themselves on the problems that they're experiencing. And when that hasn't solved things, there's been a turn towards, maybe it's my sexuality that's a problem. Maybe it's my gender that's a, that's a problem. And they're constantly seeking for the next thing that might have this, the whiff of peace, chasing one thing after another after another. And it's hard to watch, right? And we look up just in my three, four decades, just going, is the world a more peaceful place? seems to be running the wrong direction. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, this isn't to throw stones. This is a reminder that church and Christians in the room, we are, our lives should be an apologetic to a watching world of where peace ultimately is found and how it can still be here even though it's not around there. And as we were talking about how Jesus still lives to intercede for us, we get a taste of that in John 17. Jesus is going to give us a taste of what his intercession for us still today in the heavenly look like. And in John 17, two of his main prayers are, Lord, sanctify them in the truth. Lord, right, grow them in Christ's likeness is the prayer. So Christians, as we begin to uproot sin in our life, we begin to be effective in the world because a chaotic vessel here does not lead to peace out there. One of the other things that Jesus is gonna pray consistently for in John 17 is for this, the local body of believers to be unified because when there's chaos in here, it does not lead to peace out there. So two of the great apologetics are designed for our lives and, and, and our unity in here We've got work to do in following the commands of God's ways so that we can manifest the peace that he is desiring to give us and desiring to leave us. And so we trust in the person of Christ. We, 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 we obey the commands of the Father, but to be very clear, we've got zero shot at this left to our own flesh. Zero shot. Left to our own flesh, we will fail every single time. But the sweetness is, is we haven't been left alone. Go back to verse 16 of John 14. It says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. So it shouldn't surprise us that the world doesn't have peace. 
but you know him for he dwells with you and will be with you, be in you because I have not left you. I will not leave you as orphans. Those of us that have trusted in the person of Christ, we have the spirit to help us follow the commands of the father. And so the question is, that scripture poses is, are we yielding to the spirit and following him? Or as it says in other places, are we quenching? Are we grieving the spirit? And so it begs the question, how do you know? How do you know if you're yielding to the spirit? That's a, that's a, that's a big theory. And one of the ways to look at it is just yielding is this idea of a moment by moment living of your life where you trust God's ways are better than your own. On my flesh, in my flesh, and in my own wisdom, I think of a million ways that I can go. There's a lot of things that I want to do, but yielding is when I set those aside and trust that maybe God has wisdom that I don't have, that God's ways are better than what I'm thinking. And so how do you know if you're doing this? If you've been with us for a while, these three questions are going to sound familiar, but maybe if you haven't been with us, we haven't talked about them in for a little bit, but I want us to double down on what we do within a community group. And the three questions that uh, we encourage each community group to ask, because this are, these are metrics by which you can know if you're yielding it to the spirit, or these are metrics by which you can gauge if others in your group are yielding to the spirit. And so here are the three questions that we've been encouraging people for a few years to ask in their community group. And the first is, how are you feeding your soul? The second question is, how are you feeding your flesh? And the third is, how are you feeding others? These are three metrics by which we can begin to gauge if we're yielding to the spirit. Now you might ask, well, those are good questions, but where do those come from? Why are those good three questions to ask? Well, we're gonna see in John 14, 15, 16, this, these are traits of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, as we jump down to verse 26, it says that the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance of all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is a teacher. It's why we say consistently, consistently that the best teacher at City Bridge, it's not Derek, it's not Kyle, it's not anyone else that takes a stage. It's the Spirit of God interacting with the Word of God because he is the teacher he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance of all that I have said. And so when we say, how are you feeding your soul? What we're really asking is, how have you been yielding to the Spirit's wisdom? What is he pulling up out of God's word that is nourishing your soul, nourishing your heart? And so as we sit in a group and, and we ask each other that question, or maybe you text it each morning, just going, here's what God's word's teaching me. We should be concerned if there's stuff not popping up off out of God's word. It's just going, that's a truth I either needed to be reminded of, it spoke to my current situation, or this was new to me and it was so encouraging to me. Maybe it will be encouraging to you. This is why we encourage one another. It's not just a spot check. Are you reading God's word? It's, it's to help us go. Man, are you in tune with the Spirit's words to you? The second we see in, in, in John 16, 8, remember, we're, bar, we're, we're, we're looking at the, this just beautiful interweaving of what Christ is teaching us. And he talks about the spirit all throughout this past, the, the, these two, three, four chapters. And it says in verse 8 of chapter 16, and when the spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus is a teacher who can feed our souls. Jesus is also a convictor so that we can be aware of when we've been feeding our flesh. And so some of, the most, some of the mornings where I've been the most concerned within my own community group is when we get to this question and I'm silent or other people in my community group are silent of how have you been feeding your flesh? 
Because when we are crickets on how we've been feeding our flesh, on one hand, you can think, man, maybe that means I'm, we're all doing a great job. We had a great week. We didn't do anything wrong. But scripture says that if we say that we're without sin, we deceive ourselves. We make God out to be a liar and it's likely a sign that we've been quenching the spirit because the spirit of God is a convictor. And he's pointing out to us, a lot of times, even when we're walking in deep fellowship, even in some of our best weeks of obeying God's words, that means we're the most in tune to the spirit who is able to convict us of where we're still feeding our flesh. And so uproot those things. Lean in. These are ways that we can gauge if we're yielding to the spirit or maybe others in our community groups are uh, yielding to the spirit. The third thing, back in verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 26, it says, but when the helper comes, similar language, whom I send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. The spirit loves to make much of Jesus. He's constantly shining the spotlight on Jesus. And thus in verse 27, it says, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me. And so how are you doing at feeding others? If the spirit of God is alive and active in you and you're not quenching it, you can't help but tell people about Jesus. You can't help but point a spotlight on him. And so it can be a, 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 a very significant sign that if you're struggling to either tell others about Jesus, evangelize, whether that's in your own family, in your neighborhood, or, or, or waitresses or waiters, it can be a sign that you're beginning to quench the spirit because the spirit loves to tell others about Jesus, loves to shine a spotlight on him. And it can be one of the most peace-giving things. I mean, one of the most powerful things I've ever seen is watching Jesus transform someone who I love. One of the most powerful things I've ever seen is watching Jesus transform someone that I'm walking with. And I just get a front row seat and it is so affirming to me. And there is a peace that begins to attend my soul as I'm just like, that's right. Jesus is who he says he is and his ways are better than my ways and the world ways. And it is so encouraging. Don't miss out on the gift that evangelism is, the gift of telling others about it. My community group knows I am struggling in this area. This is a way I've been grieving the spirit. And so in this metric of these three, this is one where I'm like, I've got work to do as the spirit convicts me in this area. What about you? What about your community group? Where is there growth to have? Peace I leave you, peace I give you. But in order to experience the fullness of it, we need to yield to the spirit who desires for that to be fully present in us, right? The gifts of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. All of that's on display when we begin to yield to him. And those are three good questions that we can always be asking each other to gauge this kind of theoretical idea of how are we actually yielding to the Holy Spirit? Because the spirit is a teacher. He should be feeding us. The spirit is a convictor, so we should be aware of where we've been fleet feeding our flesh. And the spirit is a, an evangelizer of Jesus. He makes much of Jesus. He bears witness to Jesus. And so we shall be doing that to others. And then when we do those things, when we walk with the peace-giving trinity, that's exactly what happens. Because in verse 27, it says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world does, gives, but I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Lack of peace is not a circumstantial problem. Christ is 
comforting us with immeasurable words, hours from his own death. He is paying attention to the troubled hearts of his disciples, not his very own. It is not a circumstantial problem. Lack of peace is either a sin problem, and we can confess that today, or it's a theological problem as we begin to rightly understand how the Father, Son, and Spirit interact in our lives and how we can respond appropriately to them. And so with that chart that we showed at the very beginning, right, smack dab in the middle, when you start to do this consistently, trusting Christ leads to obedience to the Father, leads to yielding to the Spirit, and you keep doing it over and over again, peace will be one of the results. And it won't necessarily have anything to do with what's going on out there, but it will be present in here. The world defines peace as an absence of conflict. For the believer and even for the church, we may not fully understand what peace is until we're smack dab in the middle of the battle. And yet there is a peace that surpasses all understanding, guarding both our mind and our hearts. And we go, where is that coming from? It's coming from John 14 and trusting who Christ is, obeying the Father's commands and then yielding to the spirit that's in us and what a sweet gift. And what a sweet gift it can be to a watching world if we will continue to do that. What a great apologetic that when chaos is out there, there's peace in here. And it will beg the question and we will have the answer ready for them. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.